worship team and our choir for leading us this morning. As they're heading out, I'm just going to invite us to say a word of prayer as we begin this time together in the Word. So let's pray together, shall we? Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you for your Word to us. Thank you for speaking to us, for giving us your Word day after day, for giving us the truth. As we look at the truth today, I pray that our hearts would be ready to receive it, and that our hearts would be ready to move when you call us to move. I pray, God, that we would not just let this day pass by us like every other day, but that we would be ready to receive what you have for us today. And, and Holy Spirit, may we be listening for what you are calling us to do specifically in our own lives. And God, above all else, may you be honored today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, you can take your Bibles if you'd like, and, and we're going to start in Exodus chapter 20. We're going to carry on with the Ten Commandments, but we're, we're going to be traveling a lot today throughout the Scripture. So um, I want to invite you to take your Bible to, to read along with us. There are Bibles in front of you if you need one in the pew pocket in front of you. There will also be some text on the screen as well, because we're, we're going to be looking at a lot of things today, but we are continuing on with the Ten Commandments, and we're at nine of ten, so we're almost there to the end. Now, from the story of George Washington and the cherry tree, which I'm not really sure, I've heard that that wasn't really a true story, but it's about the truth, that's kind of a paradox, but still, we remember, right? George Washington chopped down a cherry tree, we don't know why, but he decided not to lie about it, and he said, I cannot tell a lie. From that story to Pinocchio and his nose that would grow every time he told a lie, all the way to Jack Nicholson in A Few Good Men. All right, you can't handle the truth, right? I mean, we're all aware of this battle between the truth and lies. We've seen it throughout all of history, and today we're looking at that in the ninth of the Ten Commandments. And we're seeing not just the commandment of truthfulness, but we're, we're going to examine and see the deep meaning behind it. Because as, we, as it is with all of the Ten Commandments, they're not very long in the statements themselves, but they contain this deep meaning that actually has all of Scripture to help us understand the heart of God behind it. And today we see that you shall not bear false witness commands us to pursue truth Because the pursuit of truth is also the pursuit of God and his character. So let's look in Exodus 20, 19. We're going to begin there, like I said, but we're going to be moving around a lot to see what the Bible says about the truth and lies. So we begin right in Exodus 20, 19. God is giving the Ten Commandments to Moses. I have 2019, but I'm incorrect on that. It's 2016. Forgive me for that. 2016, it says, You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. So we see that. We're going to look at that a little bit more in depth. But let's, let's take a step back from that 
and we see the first thing that we're going to look at today when it comes to this commandment. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. The first thing we see is that the enemy uses lies to keep us slaves to sin. So let's, let's take a moment to go to Exodus chapter 2. We're, we're going to begin at the beginning and see this battle between truth and lies all throughout Scripture. First we see in Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, we see the beginning here with God and man. In 2.15 it says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You shall, or you may, surely eat of every tree of the garden. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. When God created all things, he set Adam in the garden, and he gave Adam the truth. He said, you can eat of all the trees, everything you see. As you're working and taking care of the garden, except for this one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat of it, you'll die. God gave Adam the truth. And we see that Satan went to work right there to destroy all of it. Let's move forward just a little bit into Genesis chapter 3. And we'll read the first few verses here. This is a pretty familiar story to most of us. The first of chapter 3 reads this. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beasts of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Satan saw the freedom in the world, the freedom that Adam and Eve had with God, the truth that they were living in, they were living in relationship with God, and he went to work with lies to destroy it all. And notice the type of lie he used, right? He didn't try to completely contradict what God had said. Or make up something unbelievable. But he twisted the truth. He made this half lie out of it. He said, no, you won't, surely you won't die. I mean, if you eat of that, you're going to become just like God. Your eyes will be opened. You'll be like him. You'll be in control then. And he was, I mean, half right. Their eyes were opened. But... He lied to them about not dying. They didn't physically die that day, but it was at then when sin entered the world and the perfect relationship between God and his creation was broken. And in verse 17 it even says, when God is speaking to Adam, he said, and to Adam he said, because you've listened 
and eaten of the tree which I commanded you which I commanded you not to eat of. Cursed is the ground because of you. There was a curse of sin that entered the world because of the lies. Because the enemy uses the lies to make us slaves. He set out that day to make slaves of humanity to sin. He started there. And he continues on. He's doing it today. And we know from the Bible, from the book of Revelation, that he continues on until the end of all things. If you look in Revelation chapter 20, we'll see here that Satan continues on even until the end of all things, lying and deceiving. In chapter 20 of Revelation, verses 7 through 10, it says this. And when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. And they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city, but fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beasts and the false prophet were. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Even until the final battle, Satan is at work using lies to deceive the world, to keep us enslaved. When we understand this, when we understand the nature of lies... The evil behind it. We can see the heart of God behind this Ten Commandments. It, it, it's, or this Ninth Commandment of the Ten Commandments. It's more than just don't lie. Right? Because if we just, if we just look at it like that, it can be almost surface level. It, it can be almost, well, if you want to be good, then tell the truth. But the truth is, is that evil, Satan's weapons are lies. And the language of this commandment should not be ignored either, right? It doesn't read, thou shalt not lie. That's that's almost too simple. It says, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. It's written in a judicial context. Like like someone's in a court, you know, the people's court. Is that still on? Judge Judy, whatever you want to say. But it's like they're in a courtroom and it's saying, don't. Bear false witness against your neighbor. Don't use lies to one-up someone that that you're in a court against or to take advantage or to win over someone else. It's looking at the evil intent of the heart. Now, this makes sense for God to call his people to not be this way. To call his people to his character. When he says, do not bear false witness. He's telling them to not embrace the evil nature of false witness of lying. Jesus makes a really bold statement too in Matthew 5.37. He's talking about truthfulness and let your yes be your yes and your no be your no. And he says, anything more than that is from the evil one. So when we break this commandment, when we engage in dishonesty and lying, we are putting on the character of evil, of the evil one. We also see that this truth that 
Satan uses lies to enslave the world to sin. Man, knowing this helps us to see just how broken the world really is. That we are in a battle. That Satan is actively fighting against us, using lies to enslave us. It's had a, it's had a, a, a deep, powerful effect on humanity. If you, let's look together in Romans chapter 1. This helps to demonstrate the effect of sin on humanity in response to God. Paul wrote Romans to the Christians in Romans as, as, a, as a giant theology letter to explain to them the gospel. And he begins his letter by explaining why we even need to be saved from sin. Why Jesus came to die. And he begins by showing the effects of sin on humanity. By showing why sin has caused us to be enemies of God. And we see the effects of lies on humanity and sin. In Romans 1, we're going to begin in verse 18 and we're going to read through the end of the chapter. Romans 1.18 says this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be, made, excuse me, what can be known about God is made plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they were without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images, resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They were full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. We, we can't ignore the beginning of chapter 2. Therefore, you have no excuse... O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We see the effects of sin and lies 
on mankind. It has set us against God. We rebel against the very thing that God has set in place, against his very nature. And we become enslaved to sin. And Paul lays this out so that we can understand, so the Romans will understand it, and we as well, that every one of us is enslaved to sin. Everyone. And the enemy has used lies to do that. So the first thing we see through this that the Bible is saying to us is that we must be passionate in our pursuit of the truth to combat the lies of the enemy. We have to know that we are in a battle between the truth and the lies. It's not just about being honest and not lying and and being a good person, but we are entrenched in a battle that is keeping us enslaved to sin on a global scale for all of humankind. It's like the film in 1999. Some of you may remember this, The Matrix. The Matrix was was a science fiction film that was based on the idea that every one of us is living a lie, that, that we're all actually plugged into a computer somewhere, and everything around us, this whole world, is a lie. It's just a computer program, and everything we see isn't real. But the matrix outside, we're in the matrix, and outside of that is reality. Now, that's a, a, a clever idea, just a movie, but it makes sense to think that in the same way, in our world today, we're living in a world full of lies that the enemy is using to keep people around us, to keep us all enslaved to sin. It pushes us away from our loving creator. And like what Paul says, it pushes us to other things like the creation. So the first thing we see, we spend some time here, the first thing we see is that the enemy uses lies to keep us slaves to sin. We have to start there and build this foundation to understand why it's so important that we do not bear false witness while we embrace the truth. But the second thing we see is that Jesus gives us truth to set us free from sin. Jesus gives us truth to set us free from sin. We're going to look through the Gospel of John. We're going to start in John chapter 8. We're going to see what Jesus says about himself and the truth. First thing we see here is in John chapter 8, verses 31 through 36. Jesus is speaking. It says, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Turn just just a page or two forward to John chapter 10. And look in John 10, 10. And Jesus says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I come that they may have life and have it abundantly. And then turn forward just a few more pages. In John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth 
and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And finally, in John, let's look at John chapter 18. John 18, verses 37 through 38. Jesus is in front of Pilate. He's being somewhat judged by Pilate and what his fate will be should he be released or crucified. In 37, Jesus says, or excuse me, Pilate asked him, So you are a king? And Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born. And for this purpose I have come into the world. To bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of truth listens to my voice. And Pilate said to him, What is truth? Jesus came not just to set us free from sin. His sacrifice on the cross paid the price for our sins. That's the truth. He came to set us free from sin, but also to give us the truth. He is the truth who we should pursue. He didn't come just to give us a set of rules to follow or some good ideas to think about or some good philosophy. He came to bring us the truth. He came to overcome the lies that the enemy uses to enslave people to sin. He paid the price for sin and he brought the truth to us. Now if you notice, the very last thing we read in that John 18 passage, Pilate asked Jesus a question. It's this weird rhetorical question. He said, you know, when Jesus said, I'm coming to bring the truth, Pilate said, what is truth? And Pilate's reflecting a philosophy question that is common. It's been common for a long time. Truth has been debated among philosophers for centuries, even centuries before Jesus here in Pilate. What is truth? Pilate's asking, is there even truth at all? Can we even say there is truth? Today that question exists in many forms. Right? Some, some describe our society today as living in post-truth, where truth no longer, is exist, it no longer exists, it's no longer recognized, and truth can be determined on an individual level. But as we see from our theological framework that we looked at in just the, the previous point there, that we know that the pursuit of post-truth really stands as a massive deception. It's another twisted lie by the enemy to push us away from Christ and his truth and the life that Jesus brings. And we just need to stop and be thankful and be grateful and remember that what Paul described us being as, when we're described as enemies of God, God could have left us there, but he did not leave us alone. Jesus came to set us free from that. And I think we forget that so often. That no... It wasn't just that he died so that we could go to heaven. But he came to set us free from ourselves, from the lies that we were enslaved in. Through what Jesus reveals to us as the logos. It's a Greek word meaning the word. John chapter 1 describes Christ as the word was God. The word is God and the word was with us. Jesus came to set us free, to bring us the truth of God, the reality of what God really desires and who he really is to the world. Knowing that Jesus brings truth along with the word of God given to us by the Holy Spirit demonstrates the importance of learning, trusting, and listening to the Bible and to Jesus. 
the truth, the freedom that we need, that we desire, everything that, that we long for is here through God's word to us. We must be passionate. What the Bible is saying to us is that we must be passionate in our pursuit of the truth through learning and listening to God's word as the source of truth in our lives. Jesus spoke to how important this was. If you'll turn with me to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27. Jesus says of his his own words, of his own truth, he says this, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine, does not do them, will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. I saw a small picture of this a couple weeks ago when we were on vacation. We were in Florida on the beach, which I truly believe God has called us to live there one day. Just, you know, no allergies, fresh fish, the ocean. It was wonderful. But uh, we had some great weather the first couple of days, and then some bad weather moved in uh, the last part of our stay there. And it was funny because, I mean, rain or shine, you go to the beach because you're there, right? You've got to go to the beach. And some people would get up very early and go stake their claim on parts of the beach. And they would set their chairs... If the ocean is right here where I'm standing, they would set their chairs right here in the ocean. And, uh, okay, this is a little bit of a rabbit, but some people, <laughs> uh, I've had a lot of coffee, so I'm kind of, I'm going to chase this a little bit. Some people would set their chair down right next to the ocean. One of the most amazing things in all of creation, right? The ocean, the beach, God's creation, the, mo- the powerful way. I mean, it's so amazing. And some people would set their chair right in front of it sit down and start staring at their phone and would stare at their phone the entire time they were out by the ocean. It's like, just buy a wave machine and go sit in your house or something. And if that's what, but okay. All right. So it's related. I promise because phones, lies, all that. So, um, but some people would go and, and sit their sit their chair right there on, on the edge of the water. And when the weather got rough, uh, the waves got rough. And what was funny about it is that you wouldn't necessarily know just how big a wave might be. I mean, they, they might be a certain size and they might come up a certain distance on the beach, but then all of a sudden a huge one would just wash up. And so some people would be sitting there on the beach and the water would just come up and their chairs would just sink in and they just would collapse right there. Okay, it was really funny. And uh, just, you know, They just had no idea it was coming. And this is what Jesus is describing. Some people just put their lives, they build it on the lies. And when something happens, when a big wave comes and they they don't see it coming, they don't expect it, they just crumble. And a house like that will crumble. But on the same trip, you know, when when that bad weather was happening, we were staying in this house not far from the beach. And, I mean, right on the beach. And the weather that blew through... To an Oklahoman, I mean, we all go outside when this kind of weather happens, right? I mean, it's like the wind's blowing consistently. I mean, 
I'm able to tell because of where I live. I'm just like, yeah, that's a 60 mile an hour sustained wind, you know. I'm getting on the Gettner and I'm trying to check everything out. And uh, uh, we woke up one time in the middle of the night and there was like tornado warnings all around us, you know. And and we're not even like phased by that, right? But the house, I mean, you you don't feel it because the house is secured. Someone knew that if we're going to build this close to the beach, we've got to secure it. We've got to build a strong foundation. For us in our lives today, when we're in the middle of the combat zone, like we saw in our first point, that we've got to pursue the truth through God's word and through Christ. We must. We must be passionate about that. Finally, today what we see is that when we pursue the truth, when we live and speak the truth, we reflect the character and truth of God. So we're not just talking about a pursuit of truth and pursuit of knowledge to build ourselves up and to protect ourselves. Why, why that happens as part of the pursuit. We, all, we see that one of the main goals of us pursuing the truth is so that we can reflect the character and the truth of God. Peter writes to Christians scattered and living throughout the world where Christianity grows. And he urges Christ followers to live in the example of Jesus. If you look with me in 1 Peter chapter 2, I want us to see what Peter is telling Christians to do. 1 Peter chapter 2, we're going to begin in verse 21. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you may follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So Peter issues a strong challenge, that we are to be like Christ, who had no deceit in his mouth. We are to live by his example. When God gave the Ten Commandments to his people, he's establishing the nation of Israel. In Exodus, he's starting out, they're they're just leaving Egypt, they're this scattered people, and he's forming them into a nation. He's forming them into his people, he's forming them into his representatives, his priests to the world. God's desire was for his people to, to shine his character, his reality to those around him. He wanted them to be set apart and holy. We see that all the time throughout the Old Testament. We see that God is calling his people to be holy, different from the world around him. If you study history, if you study the ancient world around the time of Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy, you see the kind of evil place the world was, the practices they embraced and employed. And when you read that against the Old Testament and these books, the Ten Commandments and the book of Deuteronomy, you see 
the contrast. You see how God is trying to set his people apart to show them, like, this is who I really am. This is not how it's supposed to be. This is who I am as your God. And I want you, as my people, to reflect that. And that continues on for us today in the New Testament church. We are his people. Look back just a little bit in 1 Peter chapter 2. Look in verse 9. What Peter says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of the darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you have received, you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak, you, speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Peter is saying that we are the royal priesthood, the people of God. We are the kingdom of God today. And the same desire that God had given to his people through the Old Testament, through the Ten Commandments, is the same desire that he has of us today to represent and reflect his character and his truth to the world. Now this isn't always easy, right? Because the truth is sometimes hard to live out, sometimes hard to speak, and it's not always received really well. Especially I mean, it's just like what we talked about here. We're going into a combat zone. And the enemy is lying and waging a war against us with lies. So when we bring the truth against that, that's not always received well. We're not always going to be popular. In fact, what Peter is saying here is that people are going to look at you and think that, that it's bad. But you've got to outshine that through God's character. Christians had a difficult time in the ancient world because they were going against such a strong, set, religious, and false way of life. And so when they begin to live out their lives and proclaim the truth, it's not received. They're not popular. They're not welcomed in with loving arms. But Peter is saying to them to proclaim the goodness of God. To proclaim the truth. Just like Jesus brought the truth to people. And that's what God is calling us to do. But we've got to remember, when Jesus brought the truth, I mean, for many, when Jesus brought the truth, they found healing. They found acceptance. They, they, they loved him. But in the end, what happened to Christ? They crucified him. And so we, we must expect that when we bring the truth, when we live out this commandment, it's not going to be easy. We're, there's going to be some, some hurt feelings. There's going to be some, some friends that, that are lost. And, and there's going to be some suffering, just like Christ suffered. But that's what we do as Christians when we follow Christ. We share in sufferings with him. We share in that communion with him. Just like what Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, that I want to know Christ not in the power of his resurrection, but also in his sufferings and his death. Because in the end, the truth is worth it. The character of God shines through that. Even though it may be difficult, in the end, that's what really matters. That's what's really worth it.
we, we must know that we represent the character of God in our actions. We must be passionate about the pursuit of truth and living that out because we represent the character of God. We reflect the character of God through that. And the true is opposite of, or excuse me, it's true of of the opposite as well that we can have a negative impact on our reflection of the character of God. Think about today, we see this a lot in different aspects of our lives, but think about it, like, I mean, right now, you got a guy like Urban Meyer who's on the hot seat. If you, if you follow sports at all, you know, he, he's, in a, he's in hot water at Ohio State because of some, some poor choices he made that are reflecting on his character, and that's reflecting upon his team, right? We see that with athletes. We see that with pastors. I mean, how many times have we seen failures and pastors who represent our Big C church all over the world, and even like churches, little churches. And how often do we see that they have to step down, or, or how painful can things happen and, and become whenever they fail to remember that they reflect the character of God through their actions? So we must not just pursue the truth to know it and to, to understand it, but to live it out and to speak it so that we can reflect the character of God to those around us. Because the truth can change us, but the world, if we know that the enemy is fighting against the truth with lies, then we must speak the truth into this world. Now, Jack Nicholson, his character in A Few Good Men, he was wrong. He said, We can't handle the truth. You can't handle the truth. But we can. We can handle it. We need it. We need the truth. More than ever. We must pursue God and his truth in our lost and broken world. That is enslaved, enslaved by sin. Today you must respond to the truth that the Holy Spirit is showing you. What is God saying to you today? What truth is he speaking to your life? Maybe you've been following the lie for your whole life that you can find salvation in your own strength. That you can make things right with God on your own, apart from Christ. That's a lie. That's one of the biggest lies that the enemy uses, is that we can make it on our own. That we can do it in our own strength. Maybe today, you need to accept the truth that you need to put your faith in Jesus and a cross and give your life to him. Maybe there's some lies that you've been holding on to for a long time. It's eating you away. It's destroying you on the inside. You're enslaved to a lie, and you need to let it go. You need to let it go. You need to confess it to God. Maybe you need to confess it to someone here or someone, someone, someone anywhere. But you need to get rid of the lie. You need to let go of it and embrace the truth. That may be you today. Maybe there's someone in your life that is struggling, and they need the truth. They need to be encouraged. And God's telling you, you need to speak the truth in their life. And maybe you're afraid of that. Maybe there's someone who is, who is not where they need to be, and God's calling you to speak truth in their lives to help hold them accountable to that. Not to judge them, but to speak the truth to them. And you've been too afraid to do that. Maybe that's God calling you today. 
what is God calling you to do with this? Because the commandment is not just, thou shall not lie. That's too simple. Saying, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And God is calling us to pursue the truth because that's who he is. That's his character. That's what he's calling us to do. Let's, let's pray together. Father, today as we come before you and we 